This podcast was recorded on April 1st. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Doubleline Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Doubleline has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Welcome to the Sherman Show. I'm here today remotely with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And uh, we are in implementing our business continuity planning and recording our first podcast on a remote basis. And today, we have none other than Jeff Mayberry, portfolio manager from the Macross Allocation team. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here again. I should probably get my own intro, or I should probably come up with my own intro. Uh, yeah, well, don't point. don't tell Sam he's still looking to replace himself as the co-host, so don't give him any ideas today, especially uh, working remotely. Good so point. we just started, um, you know, we started working remotely about three weeks ago. Uh, I think today is day 13 of the California lockdown. Uh, I think L.A. City and County got the lockdown a few hours before the rest of the state um, <clears throat> back on that Thursday. And so uh, day 13, here we are. We decided that it's, uh, it's time to record a podcast and give everyone an update on uh, this first day of April after we had the end of the first quarter. So for those of you that aren't aware, the business continuity planning, uh, what we've been doing is everybody's working from remote locations at this point in time. Uh, we had the entire team split up. Uh, we started with you know having half the team out and half the team in. And then obviously as things progressed and we went to, um, right before we went to full on lockdown, um, in the state of California, we decided to uh, just make sure everybody works from home. So the process, although very challenging in the markets, has been very smooth. Uh, technologies you see that we're using here is this is some of the same technology we're using each day uh, to communicate with the team. So we've got daily meetings. Uh, we're meeting with the investment teams every single day, uh, making sure that everything's on point. Uh, we're able to kind of manage the portfolios through this um, unprecedented period. And so far, um, <clears throat> things have been going relatively well. Uh, sometimes I think we have a little more communication because of the forced communication each day than necessarily uh, sitting on the trading desk. So I'm here to report that uh, everything is going as smoothly as possible, though the markets aren't cooperating. Um, here we sit on the 1st of April, and I think we'll start off um, just talking markets and what's happened in the first quarter. Maybe, Sam, you want to kick us off and give us some update on the various pieces of the market. Yeah, so let's take a look at uh, March performance and first quarter performance. And on the S&P 500, looks like we have down 12% and down 20% for, again, March and year-to-date through the first quarter of 2020. On the Barclays aggregate, we have minus 60 basis points and a positive 3% for the first quarter. Gold, plus 1% and plus 4%, respectively, as well as WT crude oil. This is going to be a, a painful one, but it's down 54% on spot for the month of March and minus 67% on the quarter to date basis. In terms of where we're looking at 10 year yields across the globe on treasuries through March 31st, on the 10 year we saw 67 basis points positive. On the 10 year boon we had minus 47 bips and the 10 year JGBs we have positive one basis point. 
In terms of spreads, what we're looking at in credit land, we're seeing on the uh, IG cash bond index, we're seeing at about 300, uh, spread of around 305 on high yields, 873. And for EM cash bonds, looking at about 555 uh, basis points for that. So that's the kind of the update where we stood at the end of the, the first quarter of 2020. So not a pretty picture in, in, in most uh, instances, Jeff. Yeah. Um, well, also, when you look at it, um, if you look at the performance, um, it was a very, very challenged quarter. Um, at one point, we had uh, corporate bonds in the investment grade land being down north of 20 percent. Um, you've seen a huge retracement as we talked about various Fed policies and everything. But before we get into that, Jeff, uh, why don't you give us an update on what you see in macro land so far, uh, assuming that any of that is still relevant today? Yeah, we have a you know we had a, a handful of um, economic indicators that came out. Some of them are more delayed than others. So something like uh, initial jobless came, claims came out at 3.3 million, uh, just as a as a matter of uh, you know to, to the magnitude of of the problem that we're facing here. The previous mark was 280,000. Uh, so for, from 280,000 to 3.3 million, and uh, I think we will talk about it a little bit later. But I, we think that number is going up. Uh, looking at something like the conference board consumer confidence, which is maybe much, a little bit more timely indicator, um, is came in at 120 versus a 130 previously. The uh, the present situation, so that that one, um, as you would expect, fell tremendously from a 107.8 to 88.2, and uh, future expectations though kind of held steady up a little bit from 165 to to 167. Surprisingly, uh, and whether you can believe this number or not, the China manufacturing PMI number uh, was was 50 a couple months ago, dropped down to 35.7, and then I, yesterday or the day before came out as a as a 52 number, so back above the you know two two uh, two periods ago mark, showing a, a rebound in China manufacturing. Whether that number is uh, believable or not, it, it, we think that at least the trend is in that direction. And, you know, in terms of economic indicators that are, are a little bit more timely, I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, um, when I, we saw the ISM data come out today, too, for manufacturing, and um, it actually shocked, um, you know, it, it was a simply higher than people thought, although still in contractionary territory um, at a 49 reading, which I think the, the market data um, was a bit weaker than that, but the ISM seems to be coming in there. We don't get the services data or the non-manufacturing from ISM for another day or two. Um, but what you're seeing there is, uh, shockingly, I guess, uh, the manufacturing uh, segment is kind of held in there as of late, here in the U.S. at least. Yeah, I think that could also be just in terms of timing, in terms of when that cutoff data was, was <laughs> for that survey as well, right? Because, I mean, it was really, you know, we're talking about a tale of two sinks. We're talking about a tale of, you know, uh, two portions of the month. I mean, if you were to look through March, you know, first through March, let's call it 15, let's say, versus the the sentiment between, you know, the 15th to, to March 31st, I would think that'd be markedly different. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you mentioned that date. And when you look at kind of the wides and spreads in, in corporate bonds and various parts of the credit market, what you see is that that happened roughly 
about a week ago. I think it was that Friday. Um, in most instances, uh, the 23rd uh, was the wide. So you went on talking about where we are in terms of corporate spreads at, at uh, IG being roughly on an OAS base about 305 basis points at the end of the quarter. Well, don't forget, we started the quarter at about 131 uh, basis points. So the spread nearly tripled over that period. But um, those of you that were in the market know that the pain was significantly greater than that. I said the 23rd, that was, that's a Monday. Um, this is really once the, the Fed action kind of kicked in in some of those programs, um, we saw um, some relief rallies in there. Spreads got out to over 400 basis points on the 23rd um, in the IG market. And so I recall uh, investors really scrambling, talking about for the last six months or so prior to March, um, looking for yield in the marketplace, and now yields everywhere, and it seemed that people really didn't want it. Uh, we saw the high yield market for the first time in a while trade in an aggregate market over a thousand basis points. That was on the same day that those wides had hit. Um, the cash bonds were about 1085 roughly in terms of spread, um, but that doesn't tell the entire story. Um, it, it has been a tale of two markets where you've seen the high quality um, stuff not sell off as bad as one would expect. Uh, but the triple C assets really uh, still trade a, a fair amount of distress. And as an example, um, at the wides, uh, again, back on March 23rd, uh, the triple C market in aggregate almost got to 2000 in terms of spread. So the OAS, you were getting 20% um, over comparable treasuries, assuming no defaults. Um, and so we've had a rally since then, but that rally only puts us as of the end of the quarter at about 1800 spread. Um, that's versus about 1180 at the beginning of the month. So you had a massive, massive widening um, in the lowest quality stuff within the high yield market. And so to put that in perspective, the double B's currently have about a 640 spread on them uh, versus 835 in the wide. So you've seen this rally over the last week, week and a couple of days. What's really happened is that it's been the higher quality junk that's been rallying. And so that's typically... Um, what happens is that that stuff gets hit first and kind of a downturn, um, but we're not seeing any really improvement or not a significant no, uh, improvement in the lower quality paper. I think this extends out still to the bank loan market. It's very uh, similar behavior as high yield right now. They're somewhat trading in tandem. And thus far, <clears throat> the, the bright shining star has been investment grade corporates in that snapback. Uh, simply due to a lot of the government support and programs that have been announced. So uh, maybe you guys want to go through, um, I think it's pretty amazing when we look back on the various um, federal programs that have been announced. Uh, maybe one of you want to go through um, to date all the all the various programs that have been announced and as the Fed has tried to provide some support to the market. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a pretty long list, Sherman. I mean, <laughs> to go through it, but let's do it. I mean, it, I think you have to kind of applaud the Fed here and give them some kudos in terms of how quickly, you know, they they're able to to get uh, their act together, perhaps, and and really implement these facilities and and different uh, uh, programs that they have. And also, I think you know that the, some of the kudos can go to the the U.S. government as well. I mean, we saw. Uh, this CARES Stimulus Act get passed in, I think, some somewhat of a record order in terms of time. But, uh, yeah, we'll save that for, for the next yeah, round. It sure didn't feel it like it, right? It sure yeah. didn't yeah. feel like it when we're going through the market every day that, oh, there's a bill coming, there's a bill coming. And it took about a week to get done. 
Uh, maybe it was to come up with that clever acronym that took so long to call it CARES. Uh, was it Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act? Something, Something like that. Like that. Um, Something yeah, like so, that. Yeah. So why don't you step back and let's talk about the Fed because we had it from last year. We had the Fed on, a, on what was purportedly a hiking regime. They had to start cutting um, in the middle yep. of the year in, in July. And then uh, maybe you can give us a little recap of what the Fed's done kind of since, uh, let's say, the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah, so let's just think, put some perspective on today on the upper bound of the Fed target rate, we're at uh, a quarter point, so 25 basis points. Uh, if you recall back in October of 2019 at the scheduled meeting of October, on October 30th, to be precise, uh, the Fed cut rates by 25 basis points down from 2% to 175 uh, to 1.75%. It had an emergency cut. On uh, Tuesday morning, if I recall correctly, even shortly after the market opened, you know, way to spook the markets, Fed. But uh, they cut. Yeah, I think that was, that's worth talking about, Sam, because there was a, there was discussions over the weekend that is the Fed going to cut rates and emergency rates, and some people were expecting that to happen. Then the Fed was radio silent over that weekend. Uh, Monday, the stock market opened up. We had one of those big swing days to the upside, um, and the Fed was nowhere to be found. Then futures turned significantly negative overnight. Uh, you had the market open down, and then the Fed um, announced this 50 basis point cut you refer to um, uh, at about like 30 minutes into the market open and just spooked the market even further because it's another one of those instances where uh, people think that the um, the Fed is omniscient and knows everything. And so if they're cutting, uh, it really spooked the market more. And again, doing it in the middle of trading uh, was something we hadn't seen in a long, long time. That's right. And you talk, <laughs> it's kind of, it's not funny, I suppose, but you talk about some of the tools under the Fed's belt, you know, uh, in addition to, to setting the rate, they also have, uh, you know, they can, they can signal, right? They can signal their intention with forward looking guidance. Talk about a 50 basis point emergency cut within the first minutes of the trading day on the Tuesday, right? That's a, that's some uh, forward looking guidance for you right there and <laughs> enough to spook the market, right? So you had yeah. that 50 basis point cut that Tuesday. Remember, this is, you know, as you're talking about before, too, what had been happening in the market prior to this is we were getting a thousand point plus days, you know, um, move days on the uh, Dow Jones, you know, like it was starting to become normal. You'd have um, up a thousand, down a thousand, and, you know, you talk about volatility. Uh, well, we had some 2,000 days, too. I, I guess we're going old school here talking about the Dow, but whenever we have big point moves, we like to, for some reason, pull the Dow back out. But yeah, I yeah. mean, to see those, you know, a thousand point swings plus, and even some days we're down over 2000 uh, points on the Dow. I mean, those were just some, some crazy, crazy trading days. So, so what has the Fed done since then, since they're spooking the market on their 50 basis point cut back, which seems like you know, months ago on March 3rd. Yeah. yeah. So they doubled down again on another, uh, you know, uh, unscheduled meeting on March 15th, which, which was a Sunday. They announced another cut of this time 100 basis points, bringing that target rate down to 25 basis points on the upper bound. Um, in addition to that, they announced, for all intents and purposes, you know, the the next round of quantitative easing or QE, with uh, the announced purchase of U.S. Treasuries and agency mortgage-backed securities to the tune of 500 billion and 200 billion, respectively. And then they opened up their, um, you know, their old playbook from back in the global financial crisis days and went to the what we you know, affectionately refer to as the alphabet soup, you know, for all the acronyms for the various facilities that you alluded to you know, previously. They had the primary dealer credit facility, the PDCF, 
They had a commercial paper funding facility, CPFF, money market, mutual fund liquidity facility, MMLF, all to support you know, the, the, uh, the functioning of the financial markets that were referred to in the name. So I want to say at that point in that first initial round, the, the Fed balance sheet at that time when they announced QE was roughly $4.2, $4.3 trillion. You fast forward to March 23rd, um, which is that Monday that you referenced on the wides of the, of the various credit spreads uh, across the market. And the Fed extent, uh, expanded its initial QE offering to not only remove the, the maximum caps of that, of that uh, or minimum caps of the the Sorry, the maximum caps of 500 billion and 200 billion on treasuries and agency mortgage-backed securities, respectively, to include that universe uh, within uh, agency CMBS as well to add to that. And with that, they removed those maximum caps and said, at minimum, they're going to uh, purchase 700 billion across those three areas of the market. It's, it's uh, funny, Sam. You you said you said fast forward to the 23rd. <laughs> and you skip that entire week where, you know, the Fed, the Fed cut on Sunday uh, and, you know, they, they cut on Sunday. They had a scheduled meeting for Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it was like a right. it was like a we need to do this today. You know, obviously on a Sunday, they needed to do it. They felt like they needed to do it that day. They couldn't wait for for t- until Wednesday. Uh, that's how bad things were. Uh, you saw the, the you, you saw the you know, we were talking about Dow points. We saw the Dow drop almost 3000 points on that Monday. On the 16th, you know, it was it was one of those where you kind of were rooting for almost rooting for 3000 because we were so close. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. maybe you were. I I mean, I don't know if a lot of investors were. Yeah, well, it's (laughs) going to be down. It's going to be, you know, you you, maybe maybe you can experience that. You can tell your kids, grandkids about the day you saw the Dow fall 3000 points. Um, yeah, well, I, th- I think what's amazing, too, is during that period, you know, you talk about these facilities, you also had the discount w- window being open back uh, there, uh, trying to remove the stigma of banks borrowing from that. It, it was the, you know, people referring to it as the bazooka approach, the, the big tank coming through or, you know, name your uh, political, uh, your military weapon there. But the what you saw is that it still didn't get the markets orderly. Um, you know, that week uh, that Sam kind of glossed over, as you as you highlight there, I mean, we had treasuries, treasury securities trading bid offer spreads of a point and a half to two points wide in some of the off the run issues. And so it's some technical nuance out there. But you even saw the dealers weren't even willing to buy treasuries from you at kind of the, um, you know, kind of mid market or mid market plus a couple of ticks around it on the screens. And so there was some uh, liquidity challenge and it took. Um, all of the announcement of these programs to kind of get some orderliness back into even just the Treasury and agency MBS market. And so, and I, me, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that that's just amazing, too. I mean, you're talking about the Treasury market, but even within the T bill market, you know, inside of one year, you're seeing, you know, you know, relatively wide bid offer spreads and what is supposed to be the, the most safe part of the, uh, the fixed income market, right? Right. Well, also um, during that, that week, uh, we got T-bills to go negative again, even after the, the Fed did that. So th- this is something that we saw back in 08. 
um, is there's a liquidity squeeze out there. And further to that, what you've seen is kind of um, just in, in, uh, just this incessant unidirectional behavior of the market where it was selling, 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 selling. And what you saw is that it started kind of in corporate America. Well, I mean, like the rest of the world had already woken up to this uh, virus and some of the impacts it's had there. Uh, but once we started really in the last couple of trading days of February, uh, waking up to this, corporate bonds were hit first. Um, and then it bled over into really anything corporate related. And so what we saw is something um, that week of the 16th, what you found is that it was a it was a market that, you know, it was incessant selling. Um, it was sell anything you could. AAA kind of credit was the only thing really moving throughout the marketplace. And as you went down in the quality or the lower tiers, um, you just couldn't get anything done. And so this was a, a classic liquidity trap that turns into you know, gapped out price discovery. And then we got hit with all the ramifications of these stay at home policies um, where it wasn't just California, it wasn't just New York and New Jersey. Um, now we're bleeding up. I think I saw last night on the news that roughly 80% of Americans are, are being told to stay at home at this point. And so there's obviously major implications here. But before we, we try to think about that going forward, and we'll, we'll do a couple more of these podcasts, we're going to try to increase the frequency as we have more thoughts on these markets, um, especially how fluid the situation is. But maybe, Sam, you could talk about what the, the Fed did the following week, right? Because uh, they, weren't, they weren't done after, after this alphabet soup. Um, they started adding more ingredients into it. So picking up again where we left off, uh, we started going into that following Monday on uh, March 23rd. We had, in addition to the expansion of the initial QE, the Fed also announced to support some of these markets that you're talking about, additional alphabet soup there with the primary market corporate credit facility, uh, PMCCF, which was a, a direct support of new issuance uh, uh, at the IG corporate credit level, as well as the secondary market corporate credit facility, SMCCF. And this one really struck me because this is where the Fed basically said, uh, through their facilities that they would go out and purchase uh, investment eligible investment grade corporate credit bonds directly. But not only that, they didn't stop there. It looks like they're going to be able to you know, buy uh, ETFs that are invested in IG corporate credit. Well, hold on. Well, so, so that that's the controversial part, too. So one, you said the Fed's buying. Technically, the Fed can't buy. Right. They're just providing the backstop and liquidity for Treasury to buy it. Right. One, not not that that nuance really matters much. But the idea that they can buy ETS has not explicitly been set, right? Because the term facility for the secondary market, so there's primary to help get new issue out, and then there's a secondary facility. That secondary facility is there in place. Um, you know, they said that they can buy up to, what was it, um, five years or, or a few, what was it? What, 10 or less than five years, right? On that, that facility. So when you look at some of these ETFs, I, we're not sure if the ETF itself could be purchased, if it's underlying basket of bonds or, or the like. Because remember, these take a few weeks to set up in these facilities. So they're still not in place yet. But I, that really, that day, right, that was the 23rd, right, Sam? Correct. Okay, now that, Correct. That, that was the bottom, uh, at least a local low or a local wide in spreads. And we've seen since then the last seven trading days, um, corporate bonds, especially the investment grade side, just really take off and retrace a lot of their uh, their losses. And so you saw that, like if you look at something like, you know, some of the more active ETFs like an LQD, I think it was like almost 70 percent of the loss has been retraced already. And so this is one of those um, areas where you have to say, OK, 
Um, is this a buy a room, buy the room or sell the news? That is, sell these assets when they actually finally start buying them. Or is this going to pull through and just bring nothing but support to the corporate debt market? And so maybe, Jeff, um, before Sam continues the rest of uh, the balance sheet in the Fed, what's your take on these facilities, whether it's a buy the room or sell the news, or is this going to continue to provide support to the corporate market? I mean, I think that you, you because you've seen that huge run up, that it makes sense that you would maybe sell, you would sell that, uh, sell this run up and, and kind of wait to see if it works out. I don't think that you, if the Fed comes in, you know, they, they've, they've kind of announced the size, they've announced how much they're going to do, you know, as a maximum, as a cap. So if they do anything less than that, then, you know, at the margin, the, the you know, prices would go down slightly from, from there. Um, so I think that it, it makes sense. Every, it's, it's kind of priced to, to the most optimistic level. And you have just only really downside from here. Yeah, and I think since we've heard that program be announced too, now we've kind of had these stay-at-home orders um, really push out uh, to other states. Um, we've talked about extending the duration of the tenor of these uh, programs too. And so it's got to have a, some continued drag on the economy, which no doubt um, has drag on earnings and the likes here. I think my biggest challenge that I see with this uh, program is that um, it, the tre that Treasury um, via the Fed gets to pick the winners and losers here. They get to pick which bonds they buy. They, they don't say that they'll buy everything. They have limited firepower. Um, that number probably is, you know, um, you know, in the magnitude of at least half a trillion dollars at this stage. But um, still, um, they get to pick the winners and losers. It's like, do they, do they lend to Boeing? Do they lend to American Airlines? Uh, do they lend to the coal plant? What do they decide to do? And so it'll be interesting to see how, how they actually uh, become that discerning um, buyer of assets in there. Is it that they just buy the entire market up? Uh, try to provide support there? Do they, they focus on distress? And then I think one thing that hasn't been discussed is this is an investment-grade-only facility. What happens if a name gets downgraded um, and they own these assets? So uh, I think there's still a lot of ambiguity about the program, but this is um, you know a fluid market, a fast-moving market, and I think that's why you've seen um, that behavior in that part of the market. It's been one of the part of the it's been one of the few uh, shining parts of the credit markets over the last week and a half or so, and it's really the only one that really has had a very very strong rally and snapback in those assets. Yeah, yeah and you I said if. If things get downgraded, and I think it's just a matter of when and how much. Yeah, it's 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 not that it's not going to happen, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so Sam, yes. I mean, you got, yeah, you got to think too that you know, however we felt about the underlying fundamentals of the the U.S. corporate credit market going into to March, you know, through these programs, they don't necessarily they don't help you know the those fundamentals improve at all, and I think if anything, it makes them more indebted. So, I mean, you definitely could see some problems go through there. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The devil will be in the details in, in terms of how they imp choose to implement these, you know, programs. So right now at, at the early stages, all we have is the term sheets to work off of. And, you know, we can see how the, the actual plumbing uh, gets pushed through. So Right. Well, I think also, too, we saw that same week um, uh, that the stock market started to bounce off its local lows. Now, I'll call it local lows for the time being. We, we saw a massive rally. Uh, from those levels, as um, also you got the announcement of the spending bills, and people call it fiscal stimulus. I, I have a problem with the phrase fiscal stimulus because 
we talk about stimulus and the various stimuli on the uh, policies, but typically when one does that, what you have is you're trying to create money velocity. That is, you're trying to stimulate the economy by putting money out there and lend it and turn it over and, again, get that money multiplier effect. But in this instance, it's more of a plug the gap. A lot of the uh, the spending that's going to take place is there to provide assistance to people who have lost jobs or can't make their mortgages or try to you know help small businesses. So um, I, I heard you know the administration really try to harp up pent up pent up demand uh, that there's so much pent up demand out there that's going to unleash you know when we get back to to work. But I don't see how one can have pent up demand to the restaurant business, right? No matter how much you crave, Sam, to go eat at that local restaurant. Um, it's not that you're going to go have seven meals the first day that they're open again, right? You'll you'll be lucky to have one meal, right? Maybe you spend slightly more, but you don't have this pent up demand that's going to be built up in the aggregate. Uh, and so, yes, there'll be people wanting to go out and, and live their lives again and try to get back to some form of um, the pre-COVID world, as we're calling it around here. But I think it's it's very challenging to see how this stimulus, and I'm putting the air quotes in the air there, um, is really a stimulus. This is just really uh, making sure that we don't go into a massive depression um, and we don't have, you know, an unemployment rate in the 50 million uh, number. But it's easy to see that we're going north of 10 million in our unemployment numbers at the stage. Um, given, you know, I think you'd mentioned at the beginning, uh, Jeff, you talked about 3.3 million in initial claims last month, plus the ongoing that keeps us at a roughly, you know, um, 5 million unemployed. And then we get another uh, unemployment initial claims next week. But uh, I think one of you pointed it out to me last week when that initial claims came out said that, well, look, California only had 180,000 or 186,000 or so in there. New York only had 80 some thousand in the unemployment claims. And we know both of those should be north of a million apiece, at least in that first week. So I think that there is more pain to come in the economic data set, um, that there's been this optimism that, you know, using the phrase stimulus, it's unprecedented, the amount. Um, but even being at something that's at least 10 percent of GDP, um, all it is really is a, is a stopgap for now. And then if this continues to linger on for multiple months, um, you know, just think of the magnitude that we're going to have to print in treasuries just to continue to keep people surviving. So uh, I'm, I'm cautious on some of these uh, rallies. I think, as you'd mentioned, Jeff, it's it's a good uh, it's a good chance to maybe trim some positions uh, based on some of that behavior and knowing that the economic data set's going to get worse. And we haven't really significantly priced in the idea that this could these stay at home orders could go through the end of May, if not June um, at this stage. So um, it definitely is a it's a uh, it's a very volatile market. Um, and you just have to be pretty cautious about that. So yeah, I think so, I bored you guys to sleep there on that, that no, little rant no. I had. So, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I was go ahead take, taking a look and see what the, was remaining on this list in terms of the, the Fed portion of uh, the stimulus efforts here. So on top of that, on that same day, March 23rd, we had the term asset backed securities loan facility or TELF, which was a blast from the past as well. So I think one thing to look at, you know, in, in addition to supporting targeted markets, you know, cherry picking the the, the sectors that they want to support. Another thing to take a look at is the Fed balance sheet. So I started out earlier saying that the Fed balance sheet before all this began was right around 4.3, 4.2 trillion. Um, as of last Wednesday, March 25th, the Fed balance sheet had grown by a trillion dollars. It was at 5.3 trillion. And we get our next print today. So we'll find that out uh, you know, maybe later today, how much more the, the Fed balance sheet has grown since they expanded that initial QE.
Well, and wasn't it wasn't it um, projected out there that they'll probably grow this an additional uh, five trillion throughout these programs, right? What wasn't that kind of the number thrown out there? But also, uh, you know, supplying the market with an additional two trillion dollars of treasuries. I mean, the Fed almost has to buy them, otherwise they could lose control of interest rate policy at this point. Or like they don't control the back end of the curve, at least not yet. Um, but they could, you know, see some steepening. We saw that when the you know the initial ideas were announced about these stimulus plans that before the Fed un- unleashed the next round of, of unlimited QE on after that 700 billion that they talked about originally, um, that you saw rates go up and they, they were really whippy. I mean, we saw, you know, 30, 40 basis point moves intraday on the long bond and the 10 year. And so I think that um, until, the, until the Fed was actually coming back in and buying and expanding this balance, as you mentioned, by more than a trillion dollars, you weren't seeing kind of normalcy within the treasury market. Uh, There's a lot of people that think it's, you know, that it's going to hurt the dollar. It's going to perhaps cause some form of inflation. Uh, but it's undeniable that, you know, we're, we're going to run a deficit that's at least, you know, 15 to 20 percent of GDP. Um, and that doesn't really take into account the collapse in tax revenues um, and just uh, things that are supposed to come through. Now we have a tax holiday. Don't forget about that, Sam. Uh, you got another three three months to do your taxes now. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, again, you know, that $2 trillion, you know, that's, you know, coming through the fiscal stimulus, it's not going to just be released out there and just, you know, get taken care of. You got to ask who's going to be buying, you know, someone has to be out there to pick up the, the, the securities and guess what? We've got the fed. So I'm definitely on board with you there. You're going to see this thing. And I think people are throwing around that 5 trillion or so is because they're looking at what the last round was. You know, we went from less than a trillion dollars to, to four trillion through the first three rounds of quantitative easing. You tack on, you know, what we have now and you know, you get that five that additional five pretty quickly. Yeah, so, well it reminds me of that old uh, economic phrase like marginal utility, right? You know, I think that usually it's described in a macro in a micro uh, class that, you know, you get a piece of pizza, that first piece of pizza is good, the second one yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not as great. But by the time you get to the fourth or fifth piece, uh, most people, not you, Sam, they kind of give up at these levels, right? Uh, I know you're, you're dedicated when it comes to that pizza. But what we see here is that, you know, it's going to take more and more and more and more stimulus each time or more uh, dollar amounts to have that same kind of marginal impact. And so um, we'll see if this staves things off. That We got some, you know, we put in some local loaves into some of these risk markets. Uh, but on the first day of April so far, uh, in trading, it doesn't look like uh, the market's, um, you know, done uh, having some very uh, volatile uh, performance in the near term. Yeah. And uh, this is perhaps a discussion for later. Maybe we can resurrect this in the subsequent podcast. But you remember all the conversations we had with, you know, internally on our podcast and with external guests as well around MMT, modern monetary theory. How is this different? Well, I don't think it really is, right? I mean, it's spending. Um, it's I, the question is, is it you know? Uh, I I don't want to say that MMT was reckless spending, but at this stage, I mean, this is something necessary. We need to take care of our fellow Americans, no doubt. Um, there's going to be a lot of pain here. I think one of the best things I saw in the package, and again, uh, I don't know if the magnitude's enough, but the fact that unemployment insurance that the Fed's going to tack on an additional six hundred dollars per week. Um, to um, to anyone who's filing for unemployment insurance at this point uh, should be pretty helpful if you're putting an extra $2,400 a month in people's pockets on top of 
what they can get from the, the state and local um, in, uh, unemployment claims, and then uh, guaranteeing that for roughly four months. So at least that's, you know, about a $10,000. People focus on the stimulus check, the $1,200 that's going out to each mm-hmm. person and then 500 to each kid. But what you, what I think it's an unemployment insurance that's much more pragmatic here. Yeah, you can get that money into people's pockets, but the people who had jobs, who were working, file your claim, go out there, get this to help you survive. I think that's going to be, uh, that, that can be quite helpful. But again, I, I warn from people extrapolating saying this is stimulus, that you know this is why you should go out and buy risk. This is just a necessary stopgap at this point. So um, is it MMT? Um, I, I don't think it's MMT. I think it's necessity right now. And you know this is what we're supposed to have a federal backstop for, is for you're supposed to have that safety net when bad things happen. And this is definitely, I think, the definition of an exogenous shock here. Uh, we can point blame at folks and, and timeliness, but regardless, we're stuck and we're mired in this. And what we have to do um, is try to make sure that, you know, uh, again, our fellow Americans are surviving at this point. Um, damn, damn the economic data for this point and damn the deficits. Uh, what we've got to really do is focus on, you know, what's important right now. And that's making sure people um, have money, have shelter, they can eat. Uh, we get through this kind of pandemic, we get through the health side, and then uh, we can focus on economics later. Absolutely. And if you I mean, if you have the chance to take down, take a look at the how the, the CARES Act is broken out, it's it's good to see that the at least, you know, on at the paper level, individuals, you know, me and you, people like you know, uh, everyday people are are out there and they receive the lion's share of the benefit of that two trillion dollars. Um, right. Or maybe the lion's share is not right, but they 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 take in more than uh, corporations at least directly do so. That's a that's a good positive. And it seems like a lot of the the stimulus to the corporations and small businesses as well is there to with the intent to to keep people on the payroll. They may be furloughed, right. they may not be working, but at least keep them on the payroll and more importantly, perhaps keep them on the health care benefit as well. So yeah, no, it's definitely um, it's definitely a challenging time. So look, let, let's be cognizant of time. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is the other parts of the credit markets. That is a securitized space, which um, has seen a lot more pain than the corporate side. And a lot of that has been that we haven't been able to participate or the securitized products haven't participated um, in this kind of uh, Fed buying program or these support programs that have been announced. Um, there's very few assets eligible in the securitized space for the TALF program, for instance. Um, and so what we're seeing is that there's still some pain. Now, if you want to see a market that's priced um, for this crisis to really linger on and not be a V-shaped recovery, look no else than, let's say, the commercial mortgage market today. Um, so maybe what we can do is kind of wait till next week and give us something to talk about next week. And, and perhaps we can get some announcement of more programs out there um, or have more clarity on how some of these are going to work uh, to help provide support to some of these other lending markets as well. So this is far from over, I think, at this stage. You know, I think the, the most important thing here jumping on this podcast today was one, give everybody an update uh, where things are at. But I think we, we need to dig into the nuance of this stuff next week. Because we got a lot to talk about there, so maybe we'll we'll postpone that for next week. If you guys are up for another one next week, sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. I noticed that Sam did say, you know, the layman people like me and him. He didn't include you, Jeff, in that. So I don't know if you're highfalutin or you're below that, but um, I did notice that in his comments. So um, I did. So. Too. 
Yeah. So before we hop on to, to Sam's favorite part of the show, Jeff, is there anything else you want to add in here? We've missed something that's on your radar. What are you looking at? What are you watching in the market this morning on April 1st? No, I just think that, you know, everyone you, you had a couple of weeks ago, it was kind of panic selling. You had a lot of um, forced selling. And if you have survived since then, and presumably if you're listening to this, you have, I don't think it's time to, it's not time to panic. It's time to stay calm and, you know, be patient and kind of see where things shake out. No one really knows how bad uh, the economy is going to get or how bad things are going to be. Uh, but w- as every single day, we get more and more information and we try to incorporate that into our um, analysis and that it doesn't make sense to to kind of jump the gun and, and, and react. Let's kind of stay calm and stay positive. Yeah, I think that's good, too. And, um, you know, want to make sure that our listeners know that the markets aren't just unidirectional anymore. We've seen more two-way flow. Uh, you've seen some buyers step in when we got to these levels that, you know, hit kind of hurdles for distress funds or private placements. Uh, people just looking for double-digit type of yields uh, to build in some cushion for some projected losses out there. And so um, it, the market's a bit healthier. It's just we're far from normally functioning. Um, I think it was interesting. I saw from like our CMBX that our CMBS guys, there's a, a wonky thing called the CMBX index, which is a, a derivative thing where you can bet on various tranches. And they were talking about how the market is 150 basis points wide on this kind of five-year type of paper. It's kind of modeled in a five-year. And so if you think about that, what that is saying is that the bid offer spread in dollar terms is like five to seven points, you know, five to seven dollars wide. So you think something like 70 to like 75, 77. Well, they said that, you know, five weeks ago, those were five ticks wide. So talking about, you know, 30 seconds of a dollar. And so it is amazing that even though there is some kind of more stability in the marketplace, you're still seeing this wide. There's a disparity between buyers and sellers. Buyers want to buy at a week ago's prices. Sellers want to sell at a month ago's prices. And so there's still um, a lot of opportunity out there for patient investors. So I think I'll leave us with that note. Um, Sam, I think you brought it, brought in a guest today to do the Sherman Shez component, but maybe you want to introduce it and introduce our special guest uh, today. Yeah, so our special guest today is none other than Mr. Mark Kimbrough, who is a quantitative analyst on, on Jeff's team here. So um, he's going to inflict a pain today on, sh- on my favorite portion of the show, and that is Sherman Says. as a reminder to our guests and as instructions to Mr. Kimbrough. Mr. Kimbrough, please take yourself off mute as we go into this as a reminder there. But uh, what you're going to do is offer uh, the two Jeffs and myself alternating uh, series of prompts to which we will deliver a top of mind response. Feel free to start with whoever you want. But since we can't point to each other and see each other here, let's uh, tell us the order first and we'll we'll uh, roll with that. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me here. I say we uh, start off with uh, Mr. Sherman, followed up with Mr. Lau, and then Mr. Mayberry. So uh, with the first prompt that's on the top of everybody's mind, let's start with coronavirus. Uh, Negative yielding U.S. T-bill. Dysfunctional. Quarantine. Everyone should do it. Negatively priced barrel of oil. (laughs) 
um, yeah, the laugh is my response. I mean, uh, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand the economics between negative on a negative <laughs> price barrel of oil. So, um, you know, this goes back to reminds me of when Nat Gas people are forecasting is going to be like negative fifty cents uh, per million BTUs, and it's like, shouldn't you just buy it and flare it up? They pay you just to sell it. I guess there's obviously pollution issues, but anyway, um, ridiculous. How's that? Sure. No, it's, it's funny, Jeff. Before you, uh, before we start, Mr. Kimbrough, is that uh, I remember Sherman used to always want, you know, say to people, "It's like I'm always a buyer at negative, uh, <laughs> negatively priced commodities," and it seems like uh, people are forecasting that we're getting there. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it paid. seems like a you natural arbitrage. Yeah, yeah. I just know that um, you know, Mr. Gunlock is not very fond of us storing oil or pork bellies or lean hogs inside the office, so. Uh, maybe that's a good use of the office yeah. space. Today, really? There's no one we'll there see. right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's a no for all the, all of our listeners out there that are actually trading physical commodity <laughs> futures. <laughs> Watch the uh, expiries and delivery dates there. Absolutely. All right. Well, then, uh, for the sake of you know staying on the same thread here, hundred dollar oil. Unlikely. Rising interest rates. Um, say on the long end, barter economy did it. So, um, I'll give you guys a story here. So, um, Mr. Kimbrough, (laughs) who is a member of my team, as Sam mentioned, um, this, uh, was struggling with one of the necessities in life, um, with all the runs on uh, the stores around here. And, um, I found myself deficient in a commodity as well. And so, Mr. Kimbrough, we did we did a very good social distancing. He delivered me the commodity, um, that was our eggs. And for exchange for the eggs, I gave him some toilet paper. But we did it with a six foot manner. We dropped it off. He brought it by my place. And so, uh, we did it with the utmost of safety in mind. But um, you know, the trading outpost, as I said, is open for business. So um, again, uh, we may go back to this type of economy, but. I don't know what fair market is for eggs and toilet paper, but we've at least made a uh, one. We've made we've made one market so far in that. And I was still very appreciative for that. Thank you. Yes. Um, next one, globalization. Uh, that's on Mayberry. Oh, that's right. On Mr. Was, that's on Mr. Lau. That's on, on Lau, right? Yeah. Declining. Jobless claims. Increasing. <laughs> give me a num- give me a number and I'll I'll say it's going to be more than that. Sure. Uh, I think I think we're going to hit 10 million this week in terms of continuing, right? So I mean, yeah. it, I think we'll probably do another 5 million or so this week. So it's going to be ugly. Um, it's definitely yeah. an off yeah. the charts when you look at it. So uh, next one, V-shaped recovery. Pipe dream. Cryptocurrency. No. <laughs> I was gonna say pipe. You should have gone with pipe yeah. dream again. Uh, quantitative easing. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It, in, it, you you want to say infinite again, but we've already gone QE infinity, so I don't know if this is infinity plus one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dust off the abstract math again. <laughs> uh, on a brighter note, summer vacation. Can't wait. (laughs) Risk-free rate. Positive. Infrastructure spending. 
I'll believe it when I see it. U.S. dollar. Overvalued. Second quarter, 2020. Recession. High yield corporate credit. Uh, um, I would say I would say not a buyer here. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. Leader. National debt. Off the charts. And last but not least, gold. Um, I would say uh, if you do have that commodity future, you should take physical delivery of it. <laughs> and that's all I got. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Mark Kimbrough, for joining us. And yes, his name is really Kimbrough. That's not a nickname. So uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in on this um, emergency podcast uh, from, from the work remote BCP style. Um, for those of you that want to continue to get insights, we're going to post some charts about some of the stuff we talked about on the Twitter. Uh, that'll be at Sherman Show Pod. That's the handle if you want to follow us or you want to look at uh, some of the charts we're going to discuss. Uh, we're going to try to do these a little more frequently for the time being um, since there's a lot to discuss. Next week, we're going to focus on other parts of the credit markets and you know what the response mechanism has been there, how they're behaving and get into some more details. So that should be a good one to tune into. Uh, remember, uh, you can catch us on YouTube. Remember, it's youtube.com backslash Capital. Uh, there's some videos out there from our portfolio managers back when, back in the day when we used to work in the office. Um, someone sent me a note the other day and said, when I was your age, I remember when we used to you know, go back to work together and we all worked in an office together. So hopefully we get some signs of, uh, of that again. Uh, miss you guys, seeing you guys in person, but day 13 of the quarantine here. We're staying strong, we're staying healthy, and we wish all of you the same. So tune in next week as we try to put out a few more of these, and um, we'll uh, keep you posted on our current thinking here at Double Line. Jeff, Sam, thanks for uh, joining me today, and look forward to doing it again next week. Sounds good. audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2020 DoubleLine Capital.